through the good times, through the bad times, times when you didn't know how it was even going to come out. Thank God for his grace and mercy to help each of us. Are you happy to be gathered together today in the house of privilege for us? We certainly do. Appreciate it. <clears throat> I think we ought to take advantage of every time, of course, that we can come to the house of God. We know that um, there are so many things that are around us and the conditions of the end time, sickness, disease, so much trouble and all that. So I count it a great privilege. I've always loved going to church. Started going whenever I was just a boy and I love it. And it's just a part of my life. Um, still doesn't feel right to me. I'm able to have church on Saturday night and you know the reason that I'm kind of holding off on that just to make sure that you know this COVID situation and even though we're saints even though we love the Lord um, we sing the song his royal blood now flows through my veins that makes a nice lyric but it ain't the truth your your blood is just you know the blood of your father and it's the natural blood and your sails ain't Holy Ghost filled sails they're just susceptible to sickness and all that so we're just trying to do our best to keep an eye on that hopefully it'll it'll pass before long um, I know of several, several, several folks that have died around the message during this thing, and we certainly don't need to take it lightly, try to do what we can to prevent it, and what we can't do, we just trust the Lord to help Amen. us with the rest of it. Amen. Amen. Such an opportunity for us to be gathered, though. We don't know exactly what things lay before us, but we know this, we can take confidence that our Father has everything under control. Amen. That's right. Even things don't go the way that you and I think they ought to, and that happens many times in our life. But we can look back and see the sovereignty of God, how it's done. And uh, even whenever it looked like maybe a mistake, looked like he might have waited a little bit long, but he's always on time. Even when he's four days late. Amen. God bless you. I know you can't shake one of those hands, but can you just turn around and smile at one of those? It's good to see you today in the house of the Lord. You can air bump or, you know, whatever it is that you do. God bless you, man. Don't you hug me. I don't touch you. Don't you Give me a coat. <laughs> We've all become touch-me-nots, haven't we? <laughs> Amen. God bless you. We're so, so love you today. <clears throat> um, let me just mention this before we read the scripture. I'm sure that most of you know that we're in the middle of a building program and, um, uh, some of you, if you haven't been over by the pavilion to see what's going on, you need to go run by there and see it. Um, but I've put back f- for several, several years uh, quite a bit of money to be able to help us in case we'd ever need a facility. And we're in an awkward position because we've outgrown a Sunday school room, storage room, library, fellowship hall, and all that. But we really haven't outgrown our sanctuary yet. So we're kind of in a, you know, an unusual spot there. But um, I've had enough put back to almost take care of of that part of it, but uh, talking to the trustees and the deacons, and uh, we've decided if everything goes well as planned, we'll probably go ahead and put up a sanctuary as well. And several different people have been asking about contributing, building fun, and all that, so I just want to make that known to you. I'm sure that you've noticed that we've not been taking offerings since these services. Um, We do want your dirty money, but we don't want the germs on it. Y'all, now y'all have not stopped getting paid at work, right? That's what I thought. So just to try to eliminate, you know, how that is. Um, but 
we have a, a fund set up for that. Um, so any one of you that would like to contribute toward that, after all, it's your place, it ain't mine. So it certainly has nothing to do with me. But uh, uh, different ones have been inquiring about that. So we will definitely need your help when it comes to the sanctuary part. But myself personally, I hope we never get to have one service in it. I hope we never eat to, get to eat a, a meal together <clears throat> in the fellowship hall. I hope we never have a Sunday school class in the Sunday school rooms. I hope Jesus comes first. <clears throat> you say, why are you building it for? I'm planting my taters. Catholic Church can have it when I'm gone anyway. I don't really want it, right? So whenever the Lord comes, if we're caught in the middle of it, and then I'll stand before him and say, Lord, done exactly what your prophet told us to do is planting our taters. We've been busy about the Father's business. He'll say, well done, Donnie. Good thought. God bless you. Let's turn together today to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now Paul is not using a play on words and trying to say something, you know, in a parabolic form that would confuse people, but simply to show them that they're no longer under the direction of the flesh or the natural nature. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, or the Greek words there is actually subject to death because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So it's not our mind. It's not even me as your pastor and these other minister brothers that you're with us trying to teach you how to quicken your body. The only thing that can quicken your body to obedience is the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. I mean, I'd like to be remembered today in prayer as we pray. I want you to remember Brother Luther Dishman. He's the pastor of the church here in Kentucky where I was at years ago. Uh, has pneumonia. And um, also my daughter, Alicia, has been really sick for several, several days now. We talked to her last night with a really bad headache. Um, but the Lord moved for her after prayer. And she was able to, to rest through the night. So we're just asking God's mercy for her. I'm sure that you have needs and desires in your heart. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for all your kindness to us, Lord. It's been extended to us. And they're new every morning. Every day when we get up, your mercies are new. We have fresh air to breathe and water to drink and food to eat and clothes to put on. And thus far, we live in a nation where we can still gather and worship you according to the dictates of our hearts. And for that, we are so eternally grateful. Fathers, we approach you today again on behalf of the breaking of the word. We know that the bread of life actually became a human being. The bread which came down from heaven. 
And the prophet tells us in harvest time, he said, don't let it be stumbling to you that the bread became a man. So as the disciples heard you that night at communion, it must have been a very perplexing thing as you took a piece of bread and you said, take and eat. This is my body. I was telling Carol the other day, I don't know when I've so longed to be able to have communion again with the saints, to be able to eat the bread and, and drink the wine. Father, we are so grateful that until we can do that in the natural elements, that we're able to partake of your word. And as we feast upon the unfailing body word of the Son of Man, it energizes our soul and helps us. These needs and requests, Father, they are many. But we're asking that you would help us today. Help me to get out of the way, Lord Jesus, and speak through me, I pray, the words of life to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. I've been speaking to you now for several services on the great work of kenosis and the reality of what it means. I'm sure that as we have looked at it, it's about 40 parts, I think, with this particular title, that each of us, no doubt, still need to have it made more real to us to see what a great thing that he did. You see, there's the metaphorical view of the cross, and then there's the realistic view of the cross. There's the materialistic view of the cross. Most of the denominational people, they, they love the natural element of the cross. They really do. They love the cross. They're not ashamed to have it on a necklace. They're not embarrassed to have it even hanging from their mirror. I see it all the time of different people, and I look and wonder if it's a message person. You look and see earrings. You think, I don't think so. Um, you know, you look and see a cigarette sitting there, and you had a cross hanging from the mirror. So you realize we're not the only ones, of course, that do that. And there is a natural element of the cross that most denominational people would embrace and would love. But yet there's also the other side of the cross that really only the elect of God can be able to grasp it and really want to pull it near to themselves because it's upon that that they themselves will die. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt us uh, near as much. Uh, we, we can see the crucifixion movies that have been made about the Lord Jesus. Maybe an artist would be able to draw it and we would be able to project it on the screen up here. And maybe a painter would be able to paint it. And with great ability, they might be able to make the blood where it looks so coagulated and they would be able to make the clots a darker red than the streams that would come out of the living essence of the blood. They would be able to make the pierced holes in his forehead look so realistic and the muscles and the sinews and his hands and his arms as they were torn and we would look at the sweat and the blood as it runs together and no doubt every one of us would look at that picture and it would break our heart it would tear our heart out and yet there would be many folks that are not even saved that would be able to look at the very same picture and feel really funny. Something would strike their emotion and something would strike their humanity and they would look at that and think that is so sad. 
that is so pitiful. And yet they'll never give their life to the man who died on that cross. So there is something about the cross that even an unregenerate person can look at it and feel an element of sympathy. Now imagine whenever you would have walked by before the Lord Jesus come into his uh, messiahship of his ministry and there was an uprising among the Jews. And Pilate was a very hard, ruthless, very hard, ruthless individual. And there was an uprising, uh, some say because that the Romans had took a little bit of the temple fund money and they had helped build an aqueduct and bring water into part of Palestine. And when the Jews found out about it, they got really upset about it, so they caused a revolt. And of course, Pilate brought them in, closed the gates in behind them, and he had his men there veiled to, to where they didn't look like Roman soldiers. And when he got them there, then they began to break loose on the Jews and they killed hundreds of them. And women, men, children, you know, all ages and categories of people. So he was a very hard man. So Pilate was one of the ones who actually began to really enforce the crucifixion. So coming into the way, well, whichever way you would have come into Jerusalem, uh, the most uh, travel thoroughfare, it was there that they would put crucifixion. So the Lord Jesus was not the only one that died on the cross, but he was the only one that died for our sins. And he was the only one that pre-existed before his death as the word. That's right. So for us to look at him dying on the cross, though other people died on the cross and they suffered a lot, they suffered a great deal. And they would have gone through a tremendous amount of pain, but yet none of them could have suffered what he did. For him to become just a mortal was a tremendous price. For him to condescend from the realm of eternity and lay aside his glory and the amorphe of God when it was the supernatural natural image that struck something that could be seen like a theophany. A theophany could be right here this morning and it could pass right among us. God could allow our theophanies to move right in this building today and without a quickening of our eyes we would never see them. So it is with the supernatural in the realm that God opens up his word and some can sit there and hear it, a direct contact from their soul and they just link right to it. Others sit there, they really don't understand it. What's more, they really don't have a desire to. But yet the supernatural element is reserved for the elect of God. That's why there's a church natural and a church spiritual. Now the eternal being gave himself to the creature, that he might become a part of his creation. So the creator in the act of condescension, so he had to empty himself in order to become. So it's not the same thing as in meeting Abraham and after the visitation of Melchizedek, when God and two angels come to Abraham and he breathed into 16 elements of the earth and he stepped into that body. That was not the same thing as the incarnation of a virgin birth because that one he stepped into and he stepped out of and it went right back to the dust of the earth because it was only a temporary house used by the mighty God but not for the stages 
of redemption and reconciliation. It was only for a temporary manifestation of his glory. Now God's used many of them down through the ages. He would use a veil. He would use a pillar of fire. He would use a burning bush. He would use all kinds of things so God could step into elements, step out of the elements, sanctify them by his presence while he was there, leave them, and then be able to move on. Now, you know, imagine that Paul, when he began to write about what God had done in the book of Hebrews, and Paul addressed them, I think it was in the book of Galatians, and he identified what the Jews had done for many, many, many hundreds of years. And Paul terms it the Jews' religion. Now, you imagine that the Jews themselves, that they would have heard that, that would have been terms for blasphemy as far as they were concerned. But how is it now that the Mosaic law, the Levitical laws, all the do's and the don'ts that they had done, which were given to them by a prophet of God, Moses, and yet they had kept it for hundreds and hundreds of years, how is it that a man now under the new dispensation of the Holy Ghost would be allowed by the Spirit of God to call all of that the Jews' religion because God had moved out of it. Now remember, until the Lord Jesus came, they were keeping it, and if they did it with sincerity, it was considered righteousness. But it changed from being righteousness to no more than another powerless religion. Oh my goodness. Think of it, friends. Oh, it's the same with the church building. Most of you, I, I believe, understand this. It is not that these two befores or these blocks or these pieces of oak or this particular carpet or the pews you're sitting in, it's not that they are holy wood. This carpet is not holy carpet. These trees are not holy plastic trees from China. These up here are not holy holly bushes from China. They're just holly bushes from China. They could have wound up wherever more, but do we believe this is a holy place? Well, what is it that makes it holy? It is the presence of God. And it is the purpose that it's been set apart for. Now, is your bodies, is your blood vessels, as I mentioned earlier, is your cells holy? They are not. Is your chromosomes holy? Your DNA holy? Is your hair holy? Your eyes holy? No, not within themselves. But what makes it holy? The presence of God that lives inside our body takes this tabernacle and sanctifies it or sets it apart and renders it into God's presence as a holy tabernacle. Now, whenever we look then at what God did in Christ, he takes the immaculate conception, the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus, and God isolates the egg away from Mary, where there's nothing released from Mary at all, and God creates inside a womb and simply uses that as an empty cocoon as it was, by which God would perform divine metamorphosis. So God inside of that begins to grow himself a body, a body that will bleed, a body that will hurt, a body that will allow him to cry, a body that the Lord Jesus could set outside the city of name and when he raised the young man from the dead and groan with a headache. But yet he received nothing from Mary in the line of parenting. 
But God created it, but it must be a human because it was humans that brought sin unto the earth. So it must be a human under the channel of death that will take sin out. So God must empty himself in order to come into this because the eternal cannot die. And we do believe the Lord Jesus was God. Not the second person of a Godhead. Not a lesser God, but the mighty God himself. Is that right? So the eternal being then gave himself for the creatures in the act of creation itself. So he gave himself to poverty. He gave himself to sickness. He gave himself over to death. Now his kenosis is actually what makes our deaths on our own cross possible. Before he did this, it was not possible that a person in the Old Testament would ever be able to bring their body subject to a place of death. This is why David would commit adultery, why Samson would have the woman problem, why Saul would have the pride problem, why Moses would have the temper problem, on and on and on and on it went. Because the law did not release a power to help them bring their body subject to the word. So the children of Israel would hear the voice of God on the mountain and they would see the mountain shake and tremble and they would hear the thunder, they'd see the lightning. It terrified them. It would any of us, I think. And as long as they were under that fear, that fear produced a love, a submission to the plan of God. But as soon as they got away from that shaking fear, what did they do? They went right back to doing the same things they'd done before. And this is why, of course, the Lord does not want us to serve him out of the element of fear but out of the element of love. That we love him so much that we want to give him everything so we don't quit doing this and quit doing that because we're afraid we'll go to hell, but we do it because we do not want to offend our master. So the human nature with our Lord was assumed. It was absolutely essential. It could not be a theophanic nature. It could not be an angelic nature, but it must be a human nature. So he must kenosis himself into this human form in order to pay the penalty. So his kenosis, as I said, made our crucifixion possible, not just his. If you're looking at kenosis and you wind up stopping there with the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, Jesus, you need to move on up farther and realize that it also made a way for your self-crucifixion as well. Notice this. We read this last week and I'll read it again today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. How many believe Paul had the Holy Ghost? I may believe it was church age messenger, son of God, and on and on and on, bride. Why would Paul have to bring his body in subjection to the Holy Ghost living inside of him then unless he was still having problems in his flesh? Now, I read this to you last week, but I'm gonna read it again. It was so powerful. Uh, The word here for keep, I can't even, I'm going to attempt to pronounce it, but it means to beat black and blue. 
to smite so as to cause bruises and livid spots like a boxer one buffets his body. Handle it roughly, discipline the hardships metaphorically to give one intolerable annoyance. Beat one out, wear one out by entreaties. Now notice Paul does not have to do this to the soul. Why? Because the miraculous new birth happened to Paul and God was able to deal with him and bring him into the face of where it was the beginning of the seed line in the New Testament. But when that happens, we do not grow into the Holy Ghost. We do not grow into the new birth, but we are justified, sanctified, we're what we call saved. We accept the Lord Jesus as our Savior, which puts us in the stage of sanctification, or salvation rather than sanctification. But once the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes and it kills that old nature, that is not something that it takes a week to happen or a month to happen happen or two months or 16 years, but as soon as the Spirit of God strikes that nature, now what happens to the nature? The prophet tells us there in 1961 that whenever the judgment of God falls upon your nature, now this is the only thing it's done, very, very simple, when God can get your nature to reason with him, then that nature is killed under the judgment of God. You see, every one of us must die. We either die now and we allow God to rebirth us in the gene as what's born again, or we will die at the end time. Is that right? If you're only born once, you're going to die twice. That's right. But if you're born twice, oh brother, you may die in the natural sense and you may be buried, but don't worry, you ain't dead. You're alive somewhere else. But for those who only come and they accept the Lord as their Savior and the old man from the nature is still there. So it's still vile, still, still wretched and so on. But once we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the miracle of the new birth projects in us. Now look, you know, you'll never find anywhere in the New Testament teaching that God wants to take that old nature and actually save that old nature that God wants to sanctify that old nature and give that old nature the Holy Ghost. God wants to kill that old man. And then God wants to raise up something new, which is what? It's that predestinated seed that some folks in the message fight. That's what God gives a new birth to. That's the part that Brother Radham tells us over and over again that you never did it in the first place. Now, if God takes your own nature, your old man, and God forgives your old man for all the cussing, all the drinking, all the lying, all the stuff that you've done, he tells us plainly how that you will be forgiven, but you can never be justified. Right? Is that what he tells us? Sure. Invisible Union 11, 25, 65. So if God forgives our own nature, Satan still has a claim against it, but you done it. You done it. But if God can kill that own nature and burst the predestinated seed which laid there in your soul, then he can look at that and say, you never done it in the first place. Now your conscience, your memory, your spirit will recall what your old nature did because you're in the same body. And that's why that many of you have haunting memories of things that you did in the past. But that's not your seed. That was the old man that used to live in this house. 
But that old man died and a new man was raised from within and now lives in the same house. But the house still has the memories of what went on when that old guy was there. But you need to know who you are and you need to be able to separate yourself from yourself. Don't just separate yourself from drinking and separate yourself from smoking and all that. Yes, do that. But you need to separate yourself from yourself. And you need to separate the gene of God from the former memories of what that old resident used to do. Because that old resident was lost, he was born into the world, he loved the world, he loved the things of the world. Well, come on, church. He loved the things of the world and Satan wants to try to condemn you under the memory of that old nature but you need to let him know you're talking to the wrong person oh you used to drink you say I beg your pardon I ain't never drunk in my life you used to run around you used to do this I beg your pardon my seed has never been drunk a day in its life my new nature has never lied my new nature has never done any of those things oh the memory might be there of the old nature but the new man is totally justified in the presence of God you never did it in the first place oh praise the Lord but it still leaves now that new nature in the same old body. Now, the nature is like God, but the body is you. Some of y'all are gonna get it. I don't know, I might be 99 whenever you get it, but you're eventually gonna get it. You are your greatest enemy. Now we say that, but when it comes right down to it, we still will take up for ourselves. Well, preach, preach, brother Donnie. Amen. Notice this, he said, but I keep under my body and bring it. Now, Paul is not attributing anything that he'd done whenever he met the Lord Jesus. He's not attributing anything that he did, that he believed, anything he quit doing this, I started doing that, when it comes to the new birth of the soul or the sieging. He's not attributing anything that he'd done to make that happen. Why? Supernatural miracle from God. All we do is just allow God to perform it. That's simply it. Well, I quit smoking, I quit drinking, I quit this. Oh, now you're talking about sanctification. But you had nothing to do with the new birth of your soul. Come on, saints. You allowed the Spirit of God to do it. Aren't you glad that's the way it is? But Paul said, so I bring my body subject to the Word. Look what the word bring means, to lead away into slavery. Claim as one slave. So this is what the real Paul said to the impersonator Ishmael Paul. The Isaac Paul said to the Ishmael Paul, I am going to bring you into slavery. Notice, to bring into slavery, to treat as a slave with severity, subject to stern and rigid discipline. Oh, how many of y'all treat your body that way? Oh my goodness, I believe this has been one of the most honest mornings we all have ever had together. Even none of the kids raise their hands. <laughs> wow. 
I wonder if this could be part of our issues. Now, instead of us looking at our husband, our wife, our children, you know, uh, well, because election didn't go the way, you had problems before this election. You had issues before you ever even was old enough to vote. You was born with your issues. Oh my. Look at Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, watch him separating I from the flesh. Paul had received this revelation from God that he was not his body. And the old man that used to live in the body was not him either. Praise God, I hope you get it today. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not faith in the Son of God, read the Bible the way it says. By the faith of, of the Son of God. You've got to be kidding me. You mean Paul actually believed he was being a Christian by the faith of Jesus Christ? The only way you can really be one. So it was not how, oh, I believe God, I trust God, I'll tell you one thing, I do this and that and the other, all that is good, and if you get born again, you're gonna have tremendous good works. There's no question about it. But you are not saved because you have such great faith. It's actually because the Son of God deposited part of his own faith in you at the moment of your supernatural conception and your seed was born by the breath of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. If faith is something you have, then it's not a gift. But your faith to be saved is a gift of God. How are we going in a rapture and a body change? Because God will gift us again with rapturing faith. The same God who gave you faith to believe he was your savior will drop that faith in your body that you're also the bride. I love the way Paul wrote this. Now, we know that Paul was a learned man, and we know when he come to God that he learned a new channel. But it don't mean that Paul became an ignoramus. You know, it doesn't mean that uh, Paul laid aside his ability to write in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew and so on. So whenever Paul was inspired by the Holy Ghost to write the big portion of the New Testament, it's amazing how that he would choose words. Now the Greek language is like the English language and many other languages. You might be able to use this word or that word or that word to be able to project the same thought. But it's amazing how the Holy Ghost would move on these men and they would use these words. So the verb here, that is in the, what's called the perfect tense in the Greek, which speaks of a past completed action having present finished results. Now watch, I am crucified. So this is a perfect tense, the word that he used. A perfect tense which speaks of a past completed action. In other words, it's done. It's took care of. It's already took care of. I was crucified with Christ. Now I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I'm not sure if you'll understand it. 
When Jesus died on the cross, I died with him. If you're a bride, you was in him. All I had to do is finally catch up with it in time. Now watch this. So the verb is perfect tense, which speaks of a past completed action having present finished results. So Paul uses it to show his identification in the Lord Jesus. So he says, I was crucified with Christ. So that effect of the cross is a past effect that is having a still current reality in Paul's life as he's writing about it. So Paul is not saying, well, you know, I, I want to do right, but I can't help myself. So I'll go out and run around with the women and I drink and I smoke and I run around because I've got to sin a little bit every day and I just can't help it. And you, you all can't keep from it either. You've got to just, no, you might make a Baptist doctrine, but you won't feed the bride that nonsense. The power of the Holy Ghost inside of us gives us power to bring this flesh subject to the word. I may have to beat it sometimes, uh, and I'm like you, I, you know, I, I, I don't mind taking boxing gloves to you, to myself. My problem is taking those feather beds and wrapping on the end of the boxing glove so when I hit myself, it feels like a powder puff. <laughs> Don't sit there and look at me like that. Some of y'all got a mattress the size of this building on your gloves and you baby yourself around and treat yourself like a little six-month-old baby when you need to take the mattress off your boxing gloves and go ahead and box yourself up pretty good and say, flesh, you're stopping this. You're gonna quit this. You're going to the house of God. You're doing this and you're doing that. The Holy Ghost won't do that, Happy Valley. You have got to discipline yourself. So get rid of the mattress off of your boxing glove and go ahead and hit yourself real good. Woo! My, my. Notice this. The God of this evil age. When the entire word of God incomplete was headed up in a human body called Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, rather. In there God made me pay for my sins in him there. I know that's about all we can do, ain't it? Brother Jimmy's doing that, Harry's doing that, some of the rest of y'all just sitting there shaking your head. I know, it's mind-boggling. God made me pay for my sins in him there. Why would you find that hard to believe? When your daddy was a little boy, you was in him. When your grandfather was a little boy, when your great-great-grandfather, when your great-great-grandfather, oh, you said that's not true, it is true. When Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, Levi was still yet in his loins, but God attributed to Levi. Hallelujah, if that was so in a natural man, how much so is it in Christ Jesus, the fullness of the word? When he was here, every attribute of God was in him. In there, God made me pay for my sins in him there. Then he rose me. He raised me up with him in the resurrection. And now we're seated with him with power and authority over every devil. Amen. And Happy Valley Church said, Amen. notice in Galatians 5.24, and they that are Christ's, 
Notice this, possessive now, Christ possessive. Have crucified, ah, the flesh with the affections and lusts. Oh my goodness, you mean to tell me that someone who belongs to Christ still has affections and still has lusts in their flesh? Oh, goodness, we better stop now and go get something to eat, hadn't we? <laughs> Come on now, you want me to go ahead? I was going to anyway, it's just nice though that you want me to. Now, can you imagine Paul writing about people that they're not saying now, they're not making the claim, well, Jesus belongs to me, I'm a Christian. No, Paul is now putting it back where the claim really matters, and he said those that actually belong to Christ Christ is making the claim. This is mine, that one's 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 mine. And if they are his, it is a sign they have put their flesh on the cross and they're crucifying wrong affections and lusts. What's the three elements in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, friends, it's not sin to be tempted It's sin to yield to the temptation. The Lord Jesus, according to the Bible, was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So it's not a temptation to be sin or sin, brother, but whenever we yield to that temptation, that's when we get in trouble. So this is why that we need to bring our bodies subject to the life inside of us. So what, when you look at this word here, how that Paul wrote this, it is something, the crucifixion now is not the verb or the word past tense, but here it is a word that is stated it is ongoing. So the crucifixion of this individual is not something that happened back there. We're talking about the soul that happened back there at the cross. But now we're talking about individuals that have themselves on their own cross and they are crucifying. They are in the act of every day crucifying. What do they do? They turn their heads. They say a woman addressed ungodly, they turn their heads. This presents itself to them, they go the other way. They turn the other cheek. They pray for them to despitefully use them. What are you doing when you do that? You are keeping yourself nailed to the cross. I gotta be honest, when folks tell lies on me, I really don't like it. Do you? You like it when folks tell lies on you? Boy, I don't like it. I don't like it when they make YouTube videos about me and they tell things that aren't the truth. Well, humanly, I want to get on there and make one and call them a liar because that's what they are. But then I'd be locked in. I don't have Facebook, but if I did have Facebook and people went to running me down and saying this and that and the other, I would do what Jesus said. Not so much that Donnie wants to, but Donnie the gene does. So I've got to separate Donnie the gene from Donnie the Ishmael. And sometimes it gets very hard because Donnie the Ishmael is constantly looking for Donnie the gene's position. Donnie the Ishmael is constantly wanting to usurp that place of sonship. 
And remember, whenever Abraham finally come to a spot that he sent Ishmael and Hagar away from him, every day, think of it, friends, every day was a constant reminder of crucifixion. Every day that Ishmael dwelt out of the presence of his father Abraham, it was every day was a day of humiliation, a day of embarrassment. Where's your father? Oh, well, he sent me away from home. He run me off. I'm not welcome there no more. Don't you understand your flesh? Why it battles? It don't like to be subjected. It don't like to be crucified. It's embarrassing. It can be embarrassing when people say, where do you go to church? How come you don't cut your hair? How come you don't do this? Why don't you do that? And it is constant humiliation, not to the seed, but to Ishmael. So they keep it in a state. It's amazing. Let's read Daniel chapter 7, verse 12. Daniel the prophet, seeing the beast powers of the Gentile world that will come into manifestation, and God showing him these symbols of an animal, because an animal in the Bible would represent a power. So Daniel sees these powers, and he also would see horns on the beast. So each horn would represent something different, and then an eye and the horn. But it was a symbolism of a power. So he would see one, then he would see a he-goat, and then he would see a ram, and then he would see something else. So each one of them was a power. So whenever one power would move from one dispensation to another, it's not like this power totally died out but more of a merging of that same influence into this kingdom of the Gentiles. Now what's this? In the way that he writes is, as concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So what we see then is God using a principle in his word that whenever a dominion is ended, it does not mean that the life of that dominion is totally dead. To me, I say, what a paradox going on inside of us every day. That sin no longer has dominion over us, but yet the life of that beast is still doing pretty good. You understand? But the dominion of your nature, the kingship of your soul has now changed. That old nature's gone, annihilated, destroyed, and God birthed his own nature in you and put that nature, which is your portion of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, on that seed gene of God, and it quickened you. That was God's impartation of divine life in you as a believer. That portion of the Holy Ghost will be yours for eternity. Praise be to God. It is God giving you of himself and God giving you of himself quickened yourself. And then that part of yourself in you quickens the house that you live in. Now the very power or the dominion of the sin nature that used to dominate your body, soul, and spirit is now dead. It's like the little turtle when Brother Brown was talking about him and his brother. And they found the turtle down on the creek. Remember that? And he cut his head off. He'd put him in the fire and tried to get him to move. That wouldn't do it. Done this and that and the other. Cut his head off. And yet he's laying there on his back kicking his legs like this. And his brother said, he said he's dead. He said he apparently don't know it yet. 
because he's laying on his back. He ain't got a head nowhere, but he's laying on his back. Well, that's the way you are sometimes. You see, the Lord God severed the headship of the fault. Glory to God. The Lord God, by the new birth, severed the headship of Satan in your soul, but your arms are still kicking, and you're on your back. And oh, my, you're, you're, you know, you're just a wiggling and a squirming around. I don't want to do this, but you're saying you're dead flesh. You're dead flesh. The Lord Jesus is in control here, and you look around and say, well, if I am, apparently I don't know it. Why? Because the dominion will lap over. Let me read this scripture again, make sure you get it. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. Now you see, this is the very act of mortification. We do not gradually die to sin when we are born again. It is an instantaneous miracle performed by God himself. Your mama can't do it, the pastor can't do it, Brother West and I, these other ministers can pray for you, but only God can give you a new birth. And it does not happen through a process of saying 14 Hail Marys and then, you know, pray to St. Cecilia and then ask this one to do that and then ask that one to do that. It's when God looks at you and sees it's time for another child to be born. And the Spirit of God imparts into you the faith of the Son of God, which is that part of the Logos which went out of his eternal being in the form of kindred people. Lord have mercy. When the Lord God then gives every son and daughter of God around the world and it is imparted unto them the ability to believe God's word. Look friend, many of you know what I'm talking about. The, 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 those that have left the message and trying to find fault with this and that and the other, they can show you page after page after page after page of what they think will eradicate your faith and you'll look right at it and scratch your head and say, well I sure don't understand it but I sure do believe it. All I know is what it done for me. I know it changed me. I've never been the same. Why would I want to go back to being what I was? Hallelujah. And they look at you and think you are crazy. What happened to you? Your own personal incarnation of the Logos of God. What he started in Mary has been ongoing for 2,000 years. He's still incarnating himself in bride members today. <laughs> Woo! Praise be to God. Notice this. So it is Paul referring to this and said, the life that I live it's not me, it's not the old man, it's not I, he said, but it's Christ that liveth in me. So this is one thing that we can know for sure when we've passed from death unto life. You no longer have a self-centered life. But you have a Christ, Christ-centered life. It's quite simple. He wants to get rid of you and put himself in you. So then before, it was what we wanted to do. Why do people come, how does a married man or a married woman commit adultery? Selfishness. Why do people in this day want to abort a baby? So they can say whatever they want to do. For the most part, selfishness. They don't want to be disfigured. They don't want to carry the baby around. They just don't want it. So what is it? Self-centered age, right? 
So why is it that causes a lot of arguments and fusses in, in homes and churches and so on? Selfishness, because a person will not bend on their idea. Bless God, I'll tell you one thing, this is the way I see it and I ain't gonna move. I've always an I and I and I, I see your problem right now. You got that OI disease. Well, hallelujah, every one of us was born with it. Come on, Happy Valley. Every one of us is born with it, and even when you get reborn, this part still has the eye disease. You see, once we get rid of the self-centered life, then Christ in person. Christ in person lives in your person. Praise the Lord. The Lord Jesus continuing his ongoing ministry. Praise be to God. Not just Jesus and the preacher, Jesus in the church. Amen. The Lord Jesus manifesting himself in the life of that individual. Notice this, then it is the, the new life is actually a person within a person. What was the immaculate conception? What was that? It was a person in another person. Glory, Lord have mercy. Hallelujah. So what is the new birth? It is a person, amen, a person inside of your person. Notice in Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, the life which I now live in the flesh, separating himself from the flesh, I live. Notice what is this? Your body is an animal. Don't you understand when Darwin went to the Galapagos? When he went to many of those islands which had been separated for many, many years from the main lands of all the others, and he began to look and see different things, and then he broadened his searches and his looks, and he started seeing a methodical pattern of how the species were there. And I do believe in evolution, the type that Brother Bram taught in Power of Transformation in 1965. Not that one species evolved from another, but God letting it evolve higher by the creative power of his word. Right, power transformation, listen to it. But when he began to see this and he watched how it all, it was like each one got higher and another was higher and another was higher and another was higher. And whenever they begin to look at, you know, the chimpanzees, the orangutans and and the monkeys, and I've seen a lot of monkeys in my life. All of them didn't have black hair on them either. (laughs) But you can see where they started looking at it and science researches it and said, well, this is kin to that and that is kin to that and that is kin to that because there's a similarity in their DNA and how the chromosomes are made and this and that and the other. And then they look right up to the very top up there and they see the monkey and the baboon and they're saying, oh my goodness, we're kin to them. 
I've met a few monkeys in my life in the African forest that I've had felt more sense than some humans I've met. You won't find a baboon aborting her baby. Praise the Lord. You won't find them monkeys and baboons and chimpanzees doing what a lot of human beings do. So you can see where they followed it up and then they take this quantum leap from the very last stage that they know and they jump from there over to man. But you see, they're missing a link. It was called the serpent. Now God has always had a link that was missing to the scientific world. There is a link missing in the majority of Christendom. Right. They try to make that link the second person of a Godhead. Or they try to make that link two lords. Or they, you know, this is where the problem is. They mess up. This is why we needed a prophet for God to be able to restore the genetic code through this prophetic vision and let us know it wasn't another person. It wasn't a lesser God. It was me in a condescended form. Come on, saints. But you look at that, then Paul is bringing us up, and Brother Ram tells us over and over again, that you are animal. Praise the Lord. My animal life, this is what he's referring to. In the flesh is these words that he's using. In my flesh is my animal life. In my animal life is another person. And he lives under this mask of this animal life. So what happens to a human body? If we leave it laid out in the desert, we leave it laying in the dirt, and you lay a cow, a horse, a dog, a cat right by it, Walk by it in six months or a year. What have happened to the flesh? Marilyn Monroe, which was a sex goddess, we know in her day. And yet the prophet tells us when she died, there was no one to come and claim her body. The very body that men lusted over. The very body that Hollywood bowed to. But when life left the body, Nobody wanted what they'd lusted after. So you see, the body is not life. And yet that's the very thing that people in this day and time, look at what they're doing. They, they got all these hair colors and they got all these tattoos and they got earrings and nose rings and toe rings and rings. I, I'm sure I don't even want to know where they're all at. They got rings everywhere. What are they doing? Adorning the body. This is their God. So what do they do? They put their gold, their silver, their idolized. This is their God. And if they don't like the crook in their nose, they get that took out. They got a sag in their chin, they take that out. Lord have mercy, I ain't got enough money to take all the sags out of me. I'll tell you one thing, I'm waiting for the sag remover and that is the body change. Amen. 
Amen. Brother Donnie, I know a good plastic surgeon that can help your eyes. I know a good plastic surgeon that can take that turkey neck out. I know a better plastic surgeon. Hallelujah. It is my Lord Jesus. He's the one I'm waiting to get rid of my neck and all my sags and all my wrinkles. Come on, church. And what am I going to do? I am going to keep this body subject to the word so the very life of the Lord Jesus can live in my person and house himself in my animal body. So he says, Christ is my true life. He is the soul of my soul. Or the prophet would say it this way, a soul of God that was in God. The life of my life, the power of my power, the king of my soul, the soul of my soul. The Old Testament lamb didn't have a soul, so he couldn't give his soul. But Isaiah said he poured out his soul unto death. That's where man's problem laid, soul trouble. Oh, Lord Jesus. Notice this, Pergamian church age. No man can truly believe unto eternal life and the righteousness of God apart from the measure of the faith of the Lord Jesus himself. As today's church is filled with mental believers who endorse the virgin birth, the shed blood, going to church, taking communion, and are not reborn at all. Even so, in that third age was the same problem. Human faith wasn't enough then, it is not enough now. Listen to this. It takes the very face of the Son of God to drop, Lord, into a man's heart so that he can receive the Lord of glory into the temple not made with hands. Can't you see why people can get saved and they go back out and get saved and go back out and get saved and go back out and it goes on many of them for decades of their life and the cycle is unbroken. Why? It is them accepting the Lord Jesus as their savior. It is them appropriating their human faith. I believe the son of God. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe I need help. I believe he made a way. I believe, I believe all that's well and good but you've also got to believe your faith will not do it for you. And when you believe that, you open up your being for God to drop the very faith of the Son of God. That same faith that was in the Lord Jesus is what what produces your new birth. It's not you believing. It's not me believing. It's him believing you are a son or daughter of God. You know as well as I do, our faith wavers. Our faith get weakened today. Well, I believe I'm saved. And tomorrow, well, I don't know if I am or not. But if you're saved by the faith of the Son of God, you're saved forever. Oh, Lord Jesus. It takes the very face 
of the Son of God to drop in a man's heart so that he can receive the Lord of glory. So it's the face of the Lord of glory in your heart accepting himself in you. You want to stand up and tell me I've done this and I've done that, I'll tell you right now I'm going to have a problem with you. Because you're just like all the rest of us, you low down sorry good for nothing. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, there wouldn't be one of us believers here today. This was a living faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Paul did not say he lived by faith in the Son of God. It was the faith of the Son of God that had given him life and kept him living. Here it is, friends. In Christian victory. You sick folks today. Maybe you need to tap into that same faith for your healing. Your faith will run out as far as it can go. But don't be ashamed to ask for the faith that never runs out. His faith will come in behind and couple itself to yours. And when symptoms are worse and the pain is worse and the doctor's diagnosis is worse, the faith of the Son of God does not move. But our faith, well, I thought I was better. I thought I was better. I felt so good Sunday after they prayed for me. I don't know what in the world happened. That's your faith. It'll fluctuate up and down. But the faith of the Son of God himself looks right at his word. He looks right at himself hanging there on the whipping post and then tearing strips of meat out of his back. And he looks right to what he paid the price. And he said, I believe my own word. I be, Lord, have mercy. I believe my work is complete. And if he drops that faith in you, you can look out of them same eyes and say, I am healed. I am, oh, hallelujah. I am delivered. I am set free. Let me read this again and we'll close. It was the faith of the Son of God that had given him life and kept him living in Christian victory. Just makes sense. If I didn't save myself, I can't keep myself saved. Now there's things I can do for sure. I wonder if this is part of the key. They'll be released for the going away. We've listened to this tape and heard this preacher and we went and streamed this and went there looking for rapturing faith. And we've listened to this tape and read this book and looked for this sermon thinking that it was hid, maybe incorporated, healed, you know, sealed there. Hid under certain words that we never saw before. That wasn't the way he saved you. The way he saved you was for himself to drop the faith in your heart. How'd you get the Holy Ghost? Whether or not you understand that he's waiting on you to come through the process of sanctification. And when you got the Holy Ghost, you know what happened? He dropped that faith inside of you himself to receive himself in you for you. (laughs) 
glory to God, he dropped that faith down inside of you for you to receive himself for you. You would have never got the Holy Ghost. You would have never believed just good enough. You would have never believed that God could give it to you. But he in you believed his own word and he received the Holy Ghost down inside of you. Hallelujah. Who's kept you when you felt like giving up? Who's kept you when you were so down you didn't know what to do? He did it. It was the faith of the Son of God. Praise God. Friends, you know what I'm talking about? You've all had it to happen. You've been serving the Lord for long. You have a need, you have a request, a burden. You apply the word with your faith. You ask God and you ask God. And one day when you're praying, reading, maybe driving down the road, singing a song, all of a sudden, it just drops. And you say, it's going to happen. I mean, knows what I'm talking about. It's, it's going to happen. Might have been the very day you was least expecting it. You was on the bottom of the barrel. You didn't think you had nothing left. But God in his mercy dropped it. Praise God. Praise God. Don't you love him in our yards? Praise God. Let's bow our heads together if you would. <clears throat> oh, Jesus. Oh, human beings. How plagued they are. Lord God, many of the folks standing here today have been living this life as a Christian for years. When they first got saved, they saw such Rapid growth, maybe in their life, and such progress, they were just so overwhelmed by what they saw. But for many of them, Lord, for a long time, they may have felt like they're not really growing. They're not really going nowhere. They're not great changes being made. My, for a man who'd smoked so many packs of cigarettes today, and all of a sudden that leaves him, that's a tremendous change. For a man or a woman who's drunk or whatever more, one of the brothers that comes here to our church, Lord, taking five different types of pills a day for stimulants, smoking marijuana, drinking, all kinds of things, every day just to survive in life. But to come here several years ago, sit on a pew, the Spirit of God reached out to him Hallelujah. and delivered him of every one of them in a moment of time. He knew he shouldn't do it. He knew he, there was a better way, but he didn't have the power. But the miracle from Father. No doubt he didn't see it happen. Not sure if he even understood it. But something from within him. You dropped that faith in his heart in a moment of time. How many lords standing here today that they can recall their new birth experience or even a miracle of healing? How many have you done, Lord? We're so thankful. This is what we're waiting for, Lord, in our new birth. That it'll lead on to the body change to finish redemption.
Lord, help us to understand that it's not like one day we will reach a utopia, a paradise. That while we're immortal, this body will just, all of a sudden, it'll just come subject. No more mind battles, no more terrible thoughts, no more struggles in our humanity. We're wanting that to happen, but that ain't going to happen until the body change. If we could only understand, we could have such a peace of mind. Everyone here today struggles with that. If they could come to the realization that them placing this body and keeping it on the cross is victory every day. Every day. And ultimately will lead it to the change. Oh, Jesus, help us, I pray. Those present, those that have streamed the service, Lord God, give us these things we pray today. If there's any here, Lord, or that's streaming, and really that faith of the Son of God has never dropped in their heart for a new birth. They've accepted you on a mental conception of believing John 3.16, and it makes sense to them. And they, they believe they're lost, and they believe that you're the only way that they can be saved. And they accepted that on a mental faith. But yet they have no power in their lives. They find themselves bowing to pornography. They find themselves bowing and under bondage to so many different things. Yet they keep coming to church, and they should do that. They love you. They don't want to be lost. Father, may you help them today. Help us each one to realize it's the faith of the Son of God that saves us. Faith of the Son of God that fills us with the Holy Ghost. Faith of the Son of God that keeps us. Faith of the Son of God that will change us. Praise God. Help us, Lord, not to be weary and well-doing, Lord. We so love you today, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many loves him with all your heart today? How many wants to be a real overcoming Christian, a real, real believer in God's Word? We've got a baptism today. One of our little sisters is going to be baptized, if they'll come and prepare for that. Harry, let's sing some together while we just worship him. Now, remember the crucifixion that we're talking about. There's two of them. By identification, you were crucified with Christ Jesus. That's your soul. That wasn't your body. I'm crucified with Christ. The other crucifixion that is ongoing is this crucifixion here. And it goes on and on and on and on. Day after day after day. Remember the crucified person would hang on the cross day in and day out. For days on end. Actually, they would not even allow them to be buried. You know, Constantine was the one who actually abolished crucifixion. But coming up to the Bithynians and the Greeks and the Corsicans and many of those up to that time, they would not allow your body to be taken off of the cross. This is why it was such a great thing that the Lord Jesus was able to be removed from the cross and actually be buried. Why? The scripture said he would make his grave among the rich. Most of those people who died on crosses hung there till they rotted. And their hands, here's where they would drive it through. It would actually rot away and the bones would pull apart. 
and they would fall down. The remnant of the corpse would fall down. The coyotes, the jackals, whatever more, would eat the rest of it. Look at your body. This is where we keep it, there in the crucifixion. Why do you think, friends, Paul said, I die Ah, you mean not once and forever, once at one time? Why, why do you need a daily death, Brother David? Because you're talking about the body, not the soul. Let's worship her. Bless you, saints. Love you in the Lord. Take my life. Yes, Lord. A living sacrifice. Yes, Lord. Know that it's the least that I can do. Take my life, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you.
worship just a little bit before we go this morning. My Jesus, my Lord, there is none like you. All of my day, I want to pray the wonders of your
other as we go. The more that I surrender. The more that I surrender. The lighter 